We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. And Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the buzzer. In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got Pacers hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Hooping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Happy New Year, Pacer Nation. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast. And we are here to celebrate a Pacers victory over the New York Knicks that happened on Saturday night. But we hope you guys enjoyed that intro. Chris Sinari, Jace Move, bringing the freshness to the podcast. Fachi, how we doing, brother? New intro, a winning streak, a new year. Things are just feeling good. I don't know. I got a different outlook. This Pacers team, they might be going somewhere. And I really do hope you guys like that intro because things are, they're feeling freshened up. Some could even say feeling smoother. Jay Smooth, how you doing? Oh, oh there we go. There we go. Fachi with the play on words. Love it. But this was a game against the New York Knicks that was very interesting because we found out Saturday afternoon the Knicks had just made a blockbuster trade to get OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, and Malachi Flynn from the Toronto Raptors in exchange for Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and a second-round pick that belongs to the Detroit Pistons. So a pretty good pick there for the Raptors, and it made the Knicks a little bit shorthanded because they had players on the move with this trade pending. So the Pacers kind of could have fallen into a trap game here, Fachi, overlooking their opponent potentially, but that wasn't the case. They had an incredible night shooting the basketball. They set a franchise record for most three-pointers made in a game. Aaron Neesmith, his career high in three-pointers made, but Tyrese Halliburton, we got to start here. Back-to-back games of 20 points and 20 assists. He had 22 points, 23 assists, ties the franchise record for 23 assists, which Jamal Tinsley did against the Washington Wizards. I think it was 2004. Was that right? 2002? Something like that? 2001. One. Okay. It's been a while. I mean, uh, since that's happened. So 22 years ago is when that record was set. So kudos to Tyrese. But, you know, your thoughts on just Tyrese's performance, really the last two games was specifically this game. I think it's only fitting we start with Tyrese because I feel like maybe we didn't give him enough of his flowers last game when he had, you know, 20 and 20 and zero turnovers. He is playing on another level right now. I mean, you talked about what he did to do it in back-to-back games. Elite company. The only players to ever do that, Magic Johnson and John Stockton, yep. two of the best point guards of all time. 
And then, of course, in Tyrese fashion, well, he's got less turnovers over that span. He only had two turnovers compared to, I believe, Stockton and and uh, Magic were right around like six or eight. So he's actually, yeah, right. you know, solidly lower than that, which is even more impressive. But now Tyrese ties the, the, the assist record in a game for the Pacers. It feels only a matter of time. He's going to break it. I feel like Tyrese is so good that when he sets his mind to something, he could easily come out next game and say, you know what, I want to get 24 assists. And I do think that he'll get it because he's that gifted of a passer. But the level that he's playing on now, I mentioned, I said elite, all NBA, special, whatever word you want to use to describe Tyrese Halliburton, some of those words fall short because the amount of points he's generating on a, on a nightly basis it's MVP level. I know the Pacers don't have the wins to back it up, but what this man is doing, he is truly a magician with the rock, and he is the engine for this Pacers team that makes them continue to go forward. No, that's that's totally right. And it was funny because after the game, Tyrese Halliburton said, had he known that 23 was a franchise record, he would have tried to go for I believe quarters. that, and I think we all believe that, and I'm here for it, though. Yeah. Why not go for the record if you have a chance? I I love how people were so upset. Like there was a video going viral on Twitter after the game Thursday against Chicago because Tyrese was hunting for that 20th assist when he had 19. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's great. You know, we said the same thing about Giannis going into the game plan against the Pacers third. Straight. That was worse. Yeah, I mean, he did it for six straight minutes just trying to get the ball and score every single time so he could break the franchise record. I didn't really care about that. It's it is what it is. It's a cool moment. You don't usually get those opportunities. So why not try to do it? You know, Tyrese had 19 assists heading into the fourth quarter, and the Pacers had a big enough lead. You kind of wondered, is he going to get back into the game? And we're like, okay, you know, if New York can keep it close, maybe Rick will put him back in there just to kind of make sure that things are, you know, solidified here for the Pacers. But, you know, Tyrese came in. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well from three. I think he was two of 10 from three in the game, Fachi. So not a great shooting performance from Tyrese from beyond, beyond the arc, but like everything else, it felt like he was just in complete control of the game. And he was making some great passes. I mean, some of the passes that he makes, I mean, we're not really surprised by it anymore just because he's an elite pass maker, but it almost felt like some of that good mojo was flowing into some of these other guys because there was a pass in the first quarter from Aaron Neesmith where he drove baseline, hung in the air, and then found Andrew Nimhart for a wide-open three, which yeah. he cashed. So, you know, you're starting to see just other guys starting to connect a little bit. You know, obviously Nimhart's got some craftiness to his game as well with his ability to drive. And I tell you what, when Nimhart drives and he has all these fakes and you see the, the Knicks defense react or, like, opponents' defenses react, the Pacers arena, the fans get pretty excited because Nimhart is really kind of a herky-jerky type of player when he gets into the paint. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't lead to much, but it's just he gets the defense's head on a swivel. But uh, I want to go to uh, just Aaron Neesmith and, and the game that he had tonight. 7 of 11 from 3. Career night for him, like I mentioned in the opening, but 25 points was a plus 10 for the game. Neesmith has been balling out all year long, but specifically as a starter uh, the last three games. I love Neesmith in the starting lineup. He's like that jolt of just energy and just toughness that the Pacers needed. And I know it, it sounds comical, but yeah, we didn't trade for OG because the front office is probably saying, we got Aaron Neesmith at home. <laughs> Look, I know he's not OG, but he what he's bringing to the table right now, you might not have to empty your treasure chest of assets when you have a player right now who I think is playing really, really well. Aaron Neesmith has taken his game to the next level, I think, on both sides of the ball. He's been huge for this Pacers team to the point where I can't imagine where they would be without him. And I never thought we would say that when we traded for him. We ne I never thought that'd be the case. We thought, okay, hey, this is a player we're going to roll the dice on. He, he has just blossomed. But 7 of 11 from 3, I mean, awesome stuff to see. I'm going to just, like, you know... Uh, Steal your, your tweet, steal your thunder, whatever it is. You put out a great tweet about the breakdown of Tyrese Halliburton's assists. He had seven to Turner, five to Neesmith. I mean, we've seen for a while that it's just that Aaron Neesmith, you know, he gets great looks off of uh, Tyrese Halliburton's shots. And who doesn't? But I just feel that he's someone who benefits so much from having a point guard like Tyrese Halliburton. And Neesmith in the starting lineup, it's going to be someone that I just don't know how you could even – think about taking him out of a starting lineup at this point. He's shooting the ball incredibly well this year. And it's one of those Actually, things where not to cut you off, I believe yeah. he's about second 
in the league in, in three-point percentage. I, he's he's up there. Yeah, I think Weed Hotchkiss asked that question last night to Tyrese Miles. I, I can't remember who he asked it to, but you know he is shooting the ball at a, at a high clip. And the fact that he's been able to make so many shots, like it just kind of shows the work that he's put in to his game since last year because – we saw Neesmith start. We we were kind of worried about the shooting early on last year. I remember that. We're like, man, you know, he was known for being a yeah. shooter in college. It's kind of what he got labeled as. But he's more of a junkyard dog. And, and if he can find ways to be effective from outside, like that makes him really versatile because defensively we know what he brings to the table. Like he's going to give it 110% every night. He can play a little bit out of control at times just because he gets going so fast and has all that momentum dragging him to where he needs to go. But I, I just feel like when I watch Aaron Neesmith play and he's shooting the ball with confidence, it's going to go in almost every time. It kind of has that same ripple effect that it has for Miles Turner. When you see Miles hit his first three, usually, he usually has a pretty solid game shooting the basketball. When Miles kind of slaps him off the backboard a couple of different times, you go, oh, no, it's it's not looking great for Miles. And he kind of gets in his head a little bit, too. But, you know, Neesmith had a really solid game, and I feel like, Adding him to the starting lineup, you did worry a little bit about, oh, if we pull Buddy out, is that going to affect the offense and the floor spacing? Well, Tyrese talked about it post-game when I asked him about that starting lineup and the changes that it's made. You know, with the the, the ability from Jalen Smith and Aaron Neesmith to shoot the basketball this year and really work on that part of their game, it has opened up the floor still while allowing them to be more defensive-minded with that first group. It really has. Both players have shot the ball so well this year. Aaron Neesmith is shooting 48.9%. Not from the field, from three-point land. That is insane. How many it, it really is. Jalen Smith, uh, I'll have to go back to that while I have Jalen Smith right in front of me. Okay. Jalen Smith is shooting 62.9% from three on just under two attempts. So, for Aaron Neesmith, uh, he is attempting, and it's a far more healthy sample size than Jalen Smith, so he is attempting 4.6 threes per game. That is a very healthy sample size to be shooting about 49% on. So it's not like he's getting up two threes a game. This man's letting it fly, uh, and it's it's at a rate that um, this this looks like the college Aaron Neesmith that played, I think it was maybe like 12 games at Vanderbilt where he was just scorching hot from three. And everybody said, this is a sharpshooter. Well, here he is. So great to see both players having that three-point stroke going because it makes a big difference when they're in the starting lineup and they do still have the spacing that the Pacers want to have. If Jalen Smith was shooting, I don't know what it was, like 28% last year from three, yeah, it's not going to work. If Aaron Neesmith is shooting you know, 34% from three, eh, it's, it's a little bit sketchy. These guys are on another level from the internal progression that they have had. And I, I love to see it because when you said guys internally need to get better this year, those two players, I, I think, took their game to the next level the most out of anyone on this team. Obviously, Halliburton is so gifted to begin with. But Neesmith, Jalen Smith, they're outperforming anything we could have imagined that they would come into this year. And they've sustained it too, right? Because that's the thing. We saw them play really well early on. We thought, can they continue this as they progress throughout the season? And they and they really have. They've they've held up their their own into the bargain kind of thing. And they've been able to just kind of showcase, okay, they're really good players. Now are they starters on a team that's gonna make the playoffs? You know, potentially, you know, with this Pacers group, I think Tyrese Halliburton can raise the floor of a lot of teams and you know, really pretty much any team with his ability to pass and get guys involved and the amount of gravity he draws to the offense. But I will just say this, you know, those guys are probably best suited as like backups on a really, really good title contending team, yeah. but that shouldn't take away from what they're doing with this group. So, you know, Jalen Smith, his contract situation coming up here, he's got a player option at the end of the year. He could opt out of that. Obviously could be looking for a bigger payday. Do the Pacers go out there and offer him a bigger payday? I, I think that he's earned it. But he has yeah. to stay healthy. So, you know, I, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole too far because I feel like a guy's game that got overlooked in this one surprisingly led the team in scoring, Miles Turner. 28 points, 10 of 17 shooting, 6 of 8 from the field. You know, he had 8 rebounds for the game, Flatchy. Kind of surprising. No blocks for him. But, yeah, you know, Miles had a pretty solid game once again after having a really dominating performance against the Bulls just two days ago. So, Miles Turner, I feel like he's done a really good job and. The ability for him to adapt, playing with Jalen, I think has also been something that's interesting to see as well. 
Death, taxes, and Miles Turner getting a hot start, leading to a great performance. That's what he does. Turner scored nine of the Pacers' first 19 points. He's gotten the Pacers off to a really good start. Actually, a, a, a handful of times, even yeah. recently. Uh, against Chicago, he got off to a good start. It feels like quite often Turner's able to get seven, eight, maybe nine points in like the first quarter. Maybe there's like a quarter or so where he's not as involved, but I think that Turner has... I think the Pacers know what it means to get Miles Turner involved early. And that same tweet that I mentioned that you put out, Halliburton had seven assists to Miles Turner. That I mean, that resulted in 18 points. That was the most out of anyone. So it feels that Halliburton has done a great job getting Turner involved. And I remember that first year when Turner was hurt, when we did acquire Halliburton, they didn't get to play together. And it was like, are we going to move Turner or not? It would have been the biggest shame and detriment to his career to not get to play with Tyrese Halliburton. So, love the performance from Turner. I think that he had his downs maybe kind of right after the in-season tournament. And I know he missed a game. And then he's come back, and he has put together a string of very good performances lately. Maybe he's battled foul trouble in between, but this is the Miles Turner that the Pacers need and hope for. Awesome to see him deliver. I want to go back to what you said about, you know, you know, Miles and Tyrese, you know, Miles being injured when Tyrese was traded here. I feel like you were pretty adamant about saying, let's see what Miles can do with this group before we <sighs> just look to move him. I completely agree because it's like, what real point guard did, did Turner have for a while? I mean, you had like, you got Brogdon. He's not a real point guard. He's a Darren combo Collison. point guard. Darren Collison. Look, you like Collison, but is Collison moving the needle for, for anyone? I, I really don't know. Then it's like you got like your Jeff T's. It's like there was so many guys out there that were like, ah, it's not like a real pass for his point guard. I just feel like if you wanted to unlock Turner, it's like, can you at least just like give it half a season? If it doesn't work, then you look at the deadline. What we saw when we gave it half a season, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, Miles Turner's playing some really good basketball right now. And I think that it only makes sense to keep them together longer. And I think that Turner showed last year was not a fluke. And that Halliburton's going to put him in the right position to succeed. So I'm really happy that we did not move on from Turner, you know, when he had that foot injury, because we would have never known what he is capable with a real, you know, franchise point guard. I think there's a couple of different factors there. You know, obviously playing with the true point guard in Tyrese, like nobody the Pacers have had has been at the level of Tyrese Halliburton. You know, nah. true point guard or not, it's just like none of these point guards have been superstar point guards in the making, right? So that is number one. And number two, there's no doubt Monta Sabonis clogging up the paint, clogging up of the course. offense with what he's doing. I mean, that's the big thing right there, too. Like, you cannot forget how they utilize Sabonis. And, like, you know, Sabonis is a very good player. He does a lot of really good things. But for him to be at his best, Sabonis was probably not the best person to pair with him. We obviously saw it did have some moments where there was success with those two. But, you know, Turner being more utilized in the pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll is much better for his game than putting him, you know, kind of in that – uh, Ob Toppin type of role where he's just kind of spreading the floor as yep, that. That's a good point. You know, floor spacer at the four. So, kudos to Miles, but I, I really have like the the combination of him and Jalen together. There was a play. There's a couple plays early on. I think they even had Jalen Smith in a post up. You know, they were able to kind of take advantage of some of the size differential there by having these two seven footers out there basically who can shoot the three. And I think Miles even said it that him and Jalen kind of have similar types of games. So because they're kind of similar in the way they play, they can shoot the ball well, they can go in the post and score. It does add a bit of a different dynamic for teams to defend, you know, rather than going up against the small ball four like a knee Smith or maybe playing, you know, against Obi top and a guy that's not going to post you up, but he might be able to shoot a three or catch a lob, you know, it's a different look. You're not probably going to see as many lobs to Jalen or Miles from Tyrese with this group, but they can still you know, hurt you on the inside because of their versatility. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, they could. Jalen did flush a lob the other night against, uh, I believe it was Chicago. It was nice to see. He can do it. Uh, he can do it. But also to your point that you made earlier uh, in this episode is that so far, Jalen and Miles have played well together. This has not looked like a, oh, man, that's, you know, that, that's ugly. I know Jalen Smith didn't have this eye-popping performance in this game, but you don't need Jalen Smith to be, you know, even your third option. So it's like, can he defend? Can he can he? Can he rebound? Yes, he he definitely can. And I think that both of those players have played well together thus far to the point where there hasn't been a need to be like, you know what, Let, let's let's make a change. If anything, we're 3-0 with this lineup. I like the energy that it's brought, and that's similar to what, what Tyree said when you asked him. Jalen's been able to keep that floor spacing to the way that the Pacers want because he is able to knock down shots. And I know tonight he was just, you know, not tonight, but the, the previous game against the Knicks, one of two from three, yeah, it's not that crazy, but he has not had a shooting performance this year that has hurt the Pacers to the point where they're like, what is he doing? He's a smart shooter. He he, he picks and, and chooses the right opportunity to shoot a three instead of going like, he always 0 for 4 tonight, or he's 1 for 6. That doesn't happen. Yeah, and I mean, I asked Rick Carlisle too about, you know, Jalen being at the 4 and just kind of like what those lineup changes brings. And, and, and Carlisle, I, I kind of – Clipped a little bit because he was talking, but basically said it's toughness and length. We're starting our biggest lineup possible. Size has hurt us all year defensively, so this is a measure to help us out on the boards, et cetera. And I think you can definitely tell there has been more of an emphasis to be more effective on the glass. I would say they're still running quite a bit, but it doesn't feel like they're like leaking nonstop. And I did ask him about, yeah. you know, Obi Toppin's rebounding the last two games. 12 rebounds against Chicago, nine rebounds against the Knicks tonight. And I said, is that something you guys are doing schematically trying to and encourage Obi to be more of a rebounder than a leaker and in Rick Carlisle fashion did not elaborate, just gave me a one word answer and said, yes. So it was confirmation that, you know, what you're saying is the Pacers asking Obi to be more of a rebounder than someone that leaks out. But um, I want to go now to the bench because there was one thing that I think we probably noticed a little bit different in this game compared to the other two. And that was the reinserting of TJ McConnell back into the lineup as the backup point guard. It felt like those first two games, Andrew Nimhard struggled a little bit. It just felt like the offensive flow wasn't as uh, – there wasn't as much continuity with that lineup. So I don't really know if that's a long-term thing or if it's just a, hey, we're going to try this out right now just see if it helps us out a little bit. But I did feel like the bench played a little bit better. McConnell wasn't great in this game. He was fine. He was, he was pretty solid. But it allowed Nimhard to kind of just play in that same role as the backup – or as a starting shooting guard and not have to be overloaded with – okay, guard the best perimeter guy like Jalen Brunson all game long and then go run the backup point guard spot. No, that's a good point. And, yeah, the McConnell minutes weren't anything to, you know, really be impressed about. I think uh, a decent amount of them came, you know, in the fourth quarter when you're like, all right, you know, give give him some run with, with some of the other guys. But um, for McConnell, I mean, yeah, a couple couple turnovers, it, nothing nothing truly impressive. But for Nemhart, just before we go to the rest of the bench, I thought this was an awesome bounce-back performance. He was a plus 20 in this game, 14 points, five boards, five assists, uh, two steals. He did still have four turnovers, which is more than you want, but I felt like Nemhard's best performances were by no means in the previous few games in the starting lineup. So awesome to see him have that type of play that we know he's more than capable of. And then for the bench unit, yeah, Obi. I mean, he's rebounding more. That If, if he could just do one thing, rebound. But he yeah. also gave you three blocks. And I think that he is just contesting more on the on the glass and the defensive end. And that's great. We don't need all these highlights. I mean, what is one highlight dunk 
if you give up a ton of points and you pull down two boards. Yeah. I can do without the highlight dunk. Give me the rebounds. But one guy that we got to got to shout out is Benedict Matherin. For sure. Matherin, twenty points on seven of ten shooting. It could almost blow your mind that he didn't grab a rebound. He didn't have an assist. He didn't have anything else other than two turnovers. But this man is a scorer. He is a scorer. It's who he is. It's who he wants to be. It's just naturally him. And on a night like tonight, he was efficient. And you could live with that type of play to say, hey, just give us some scoring. And and I, I thought that he delivered against the Knicks on that. Uh, he was a plus 11 on a 7 of 10 shooting performance. He had some nice catch-and-shoot moments, too. I know that that's one thing that they've talked about with Ben just becoming more of a catch-and-shoot guy and not always a guy that has to catch and then kind of get himself set up for a shot. But he did have a couple. I know he squibbed one in. It was kind of a, an ugly-looking flat shot, but it went in, and that's all that matters, right? It counts yep. the same way. But you're right. I mean, it was kind of funny. I felt like Ben was having a really good game when watching it. It's like, man, everything he's shooting feels like it's going in tonight. And then I looked at the box score, and I said, man, he had zeros across the board besides yep. two turnovers. I'm like... I was kind of surprised by that. There was one sequence where I remember Ben did get kind of, you know, beat on a rebound where he was supposed to be boxing out. And Ben does this quite a bit. When he's not involved in the play, he might not go make a contact initially with the guy that's crashing the glass to get that board. He just kind of stands there in position hoping to get it. And then a guy will come from behind and just be able to tap the ball away. And that happened on one possession. I think it might have been Josh Hart or DiVincenzo. The, the Knicks end up getting like two or three chances there uh on that possession because they allowed two offensive rebounds so you know it's it's a work in progress with Ben but I feel like him coming off the bench continuing to adapt and just kind of do whatever the coaching staff ask of him we've not been able to sit here and say consistently like Ben Matherin's been you know a great player this year but I think we're seeing the the growth from him in his sophomore year one that makes you feel pretty solid you know it's seven of ten from the field and I feel you know Halliburton had a couple of assists to him in this game so he is a guy that I think is continuing to evolve as a player. And once he puts it all together, I think he could still be pretty special. It's just having to take that time to, to kind of figure out what his role is, what he's supposed to be, and, and how he can impact this team the best way. Yeah, and it's it's tough when obviously scoring is the thing that he does best. And sometimes the Pacers need more than just scoring. So I think that that's why – Sometimes his his minutes his role kind of fluctuates a little bit. Um, I've I've seen comments on our YouTube channel like, man, you guys really hate on, on Matherin. It's like, no, uh, we, we just want to win. And I think on a night like where like against the Knicks, it's like twenty points is great. But like, yeah, when you do look and you see zeros across the board and everything else, it, it, you don't want it to have it water down the twenty point performance. But it's also like, come on, man, like you know, we we need. Can you get one assist? Can you get one rebound? Yeah. Can you you know anything like that? But in terms of how the Pacers really kind of won this game and pushed away, this was a really close game. It was a two-point game at halftime. I believe yeah. it was 65 to 63. And I was like, oh, my God, come on. The Knicks have like half a roster right now. This would be a deflating loss going into 2024. And I feel like the Pacers really responded in that third quarter. They had a 41-point third quarter in which they hit eight three-pointers. And basically, ESPN had a great stat, and I'm just going to – I'll give them a shout-out. But from the 10:31 minute mark to the 104-minute mark, you know, uh, Indiana outscored the Knicks by 19 points. I just mm. thought that during that span – so, I mean, essentially the whole third quarter, but during that span specifically, they ran away with this game, and they went into the fourth. They were up 105-92. to 92. I just felt like that was a big difference, but – Look, on a night where Tyrese has 23 assists, it's he had seven assists in that third quarter. He had eight assists in the first quarter. So, I mean, it's, it's not like I guess it was anything special, but it was just like he was so good. The ball movement was so fantastic that I just feel like that third quarter is where the Pacers pushed ahead and never had to look back. No, you're right. And I, and I think you got to give a lot of credit to Andrew Nimhard, Jalen Smith, and even Obi Toppin because being tasked with guarding Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson is not easy. I know that the Knicks were on a uh, second night of a back-to-back -back coming into this game, but you know Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle both shot 9 for 22 from the field. And that's a credit to the Pacers' defense and, and putting a lot of pressure on them and putting a lot of attention on them. And I know Rick Carlisle, after the game, praised Obi Toppin for his defense on, on Julius Randle, kind of set the tone there. And you could tell those, twos were getting, those two guys were getting a little oh, yeah. chippy. You know, because oh, it's Obi yeah. Toppin's revenge game against the Knicks. And I wanted a bigger performance. I really did. I wanted to lean into that revenge game, but 
Obi got the win, and I think for that, I think he's very happy. I mean, it's kind of tough when, you know, uh, I, I give Rick a lot of credit because Obi Toppin was the 10th man to check into the game tonight uh, against the Knicks. So tough. for him to check in, right, and kind of be like the 10th man, and he's having to adjust now from starting 28 games to coming off the bench now, he he has to figure out a way to be impactful. And so for him to go out there and, and really play hard, I mean, Rick rewarded him in the third quarter by being the first sub into the game. So uh, back into the second half. So that, that to me is like, okay, if you play the right way and, and you prove it, Rick's going to reward you. So he did a really good job on Randall. Randall was clearly frustrated. He got a technical foul in this game. Um, you know, I, I thought things were going to get a little bit out of hand when he had that first offensive possession in the second half against Jalen Smith. Rick completely shoved him with his forearm. There was no call made. Rick Carlisle was livid. Jalen Smith gets thrown to the floor and Rick Carlisle pretty much runs all the way to the free throw line, yelling at the referee, just trying to pick up a technical foul because he was hot that that was not a call. And he was standing up for his guys. And I do think that it did kind of set the tone the rest of that quarter because Julius Randle was not getting the same amount of foul calls for him after that. And it led to him getting a technical foul. So, you know, Julius Randle is a very hot and cold type of player, I would say. Very much. Not the biggest fan of watching him play, but he has torched the Pacers. For several years, like 28 points and 12 rebounds, you look at the stats, you're thinking, that's a pretty good stat line, but it was not a super efficient stat line for him. Just 40% from the field, 20% from three. You know, I felt like he was good in this game, but it could have been a lot worse. Definitely could have been a lot worse. And there's quite a few technicals called in this game. The guy who actually absolutely killed the Pacers was Dante DiVincenzo. Oh my God. Had a career night. 38 points on 15 of 21 shooting. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's crazy. But, and like, I know Randall still did give us 28, and Brenson did give us 28, but Pacers got the win. And I think that the Knicks defense, usually they're known for defense. Obviously, they're short on bodies. For the Knicks to give up 140, that, that says a lot. It was nice to see the Pacers, you know, crack that 140 mark selfishly. As as well as everything went, I wanted to hold them below 120. There was something about that sense of pride lately of, like, we've been on a streak of, like, keeping teams below 120, specifically below, like, 117. But, um, man, a, a win's a win. I think this was a win that could really bring some momentum in to the New Year's, something that you yeah. had to have. 40 assists for the Pacers. If 30 is usually the mark, 40 is incredible. And overall, I mean, they shot 59%, 53.5% from three. There was so much to like in this game, but overall, it's just continuing to push forward, get another win. One thing that was that was interesting, I saw this stat. Tyrese Halliburton now has 23 double-doubles, the most of any guard in the NBA, and tied with Giannis for the most in the Eastern Conference. Mm. How about that? We'll we'll see if Giannis can get another double double against the Pacers tonight as the Pacers play the Bucks in Milwaukee. Game four of the year against the Bucks already, Fachi. So I know we're talking about it off air. You're like, I'm tired of seeing the Bucks. It's a lot of Bucks. It's a lot of Bucks. We're gonna play them five times. I mean, why couldn't we play the Pistons five times or anyone else? You know, but it's just hey, the fact that we already have a couple wins against Milwaukee. I guess I can't complain too much. Um, but you know, it'd still be great to win this series, especially from where we left yeah. off. I want to go back to the next game real quick because I think you'll get a kick out of this. I was there covering the game with, uh, you know, all the guys that cover the game and, and and my good friend Derek Kramer from my Pacers. You guys know Derek. He was sitting next to me and he said, is this the Evan Fournier Knicks revenge game? <laughs> because <laughs> Evan Fournier was so bad in this game. Three of ten from the field. Everything was short. He was a minus 13. Then I said, bro, you got to tweet that out. That's hilarious. Um, I don't That's know amazing. if he did or not, but – I thought that was a hilarious comment, just saying, you know, we always talk about a revenge game, like Obi Toppin getting revenge on the Knicks, so yeah. Evan Fournier still on the Knicks, getting his Knicks revenge game. That is so great. And I also thought, like, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Tibbs is like, all right, Evan, you're playing tonight. It's like, oh, am I? Ice, ice. Up- yeah, I've been sitting on the bench for like two years. It's just like, it's crazy. He gets in there, plays big minutes, does not play well. Uh, you know, you would have thought maybe this is an opportunity for them to kind of showcase him and trade him or, or anything like that. But uh, that was not the performance for a guy who's a really good three-point shooter to go two of eight from three. But at the same point, I loved every second of it. Um, it was great to see. And man, uh, Alex, a winning streak, a three-game winning three streak. Three-game winning streak. 
after everything we just went through recently, I mean, people thought we were dead, dead in the water. All of a sudden, these Indiana Pacers, they're, they're crawling back. Yeah, I, I want to say, look, when the night started out with Rick Carlisle's comments in the pregame Ooh, press classic. conference, it was classic. Now, I will just say this. If you did not see it on Twitter or you have not heard this, it's pretty funny. So basically, Rick Carlisle was talking about the Pacers' defense of late. And, you know, he said, you know, we've got to get better defensively. It's kind of been the talking point all season long. But he made this reference. He said, being historically great on offense is fun, but even dating a pretty girl gets boring after a while, especially if she can't guard anybody. <laughs> so it's like the quote doesn't really make any sense. No, no, it doesn't. But what, what happened here is everybody started laughing when he said that. And then when he added in, especially if she can't guard anybody, I, I think he just kind of lost the room there because we were all chuckling at the comment because it was so like it was a mixing uh, of two metaphors or whatever analogies putting together. And I loved it. I thought Rick did a great job. There was a lot of great quote tweets from this and people were having a lot of fun with it. But to me, this is just like Rick basically <laughs> throwing his team under the bus for the defensive performance at yeah. the beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I understand that like, being really good offensively can get kind of boring after a while, especially if you can't stop anybody. But scoring 140 points, you know, seeing Tyrese pass out 23 assists, that is pretty fun to me. It is pretty fun. I, I had a blast. And I, I know that I, I feel like this is one of the rare games that you could overlook giving up 126 because it, it really didn't feel that bad. It wasn't like against the Atlanta Hawks where we're physically trading basket for basket. It's like – you know, the, the Pacers won this game by, by 14. I felt like they, they probably could have won it by even more if they kept their foot on the gas. But overall, I mean, I'm not mad about giving up 126. It is fun. It was a great comment by Carlisle. My boss actually, you know, messaged me late at night. He heard that comment. He loved it. It just feel like it was one that was just like a, just a, a fun moment for a team right now that looks to be having some fun. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no doubt about it. This team is having fun and we're getting excited. I, I wanted to pull up some of these quote tweets here because, um, you know, Tony East put the, the tweet out like first. And so a lot of people re responded to it. I'm trying to see if there's a one that was specific to that. What made me laugh so hard because it's basically like uh, I, it's too long for me to find all these because there's so much going on with these quote tweets. I mean, it's out of control, but just go look at Tony East quote tweets of Rick Carlisle's comments on the the thing he said about uh, a pretty girl, uh, you know, it's it's boring after a while. I'm just saying, go look that look at his quote tweets because you will find yourself laughing. But great win for the Pacers, obviously. Starting out the new year right, three game winning streak like you mentioned, Fachi. Levar Ball has been been very present on Pacers Twitter right. as of late. Thankfully, because the Pacers have won some games. But the best part of the game uh, after the win to me was just the last minute and seeing Rick Carlisle sub back in Obi Toppin to be able to get a minute on the court with his brother Jacob Toppin, who is on the Knicks cool. roster. So thought that was a pretty cool moment by both Tibbs and Carlisle to make that moment happen. I, I think that um, it's what every brother ever dreams of. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I have a brother. Were any of us ever going to make the NBA? Absolutely not. All right, we stood no chance. But I would have loved to have ever been in one of those type of settings. I mean, it's a special thing. There's very few brothers in the league. I'm not going to go through all of them. But we remember what it was like when the Pacers made history with the Holiday Brothers. Remember yeah. when all three of them got on the court at the same time? Like, that's, un that's like something out of a movie. So even though it might have been one minute, those brothers lived their dreams. And I think that that is just something awesome that there's probably never going to be another opportunity in their careers. I don't want to sell Jacob Toppin short, but it's probably never going to be another opportunity that the two of them get to play against each other on the same court at the same time. So shout out to Rick for letting uh, Obi and Jacob be able to share that moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. 
Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Absolutely, Fachi. So as we wrap this one up, uh, we obviously wanted to touch on the OG and Anobi trade, right? And, and what this means, because obviously there has been a lot of speculation. Could the Indiana Pacers be a team that goes after OG and Anobi? But obviously the New York Knicks sweeped in there and got him before the year was over. So OB, uh, excuse me, OG and Anobi going to the Knicks. What were your thoughts on that? And how do you think that kind of reshuffles the, the, the playing cards for the Pacers? Well, I I think this kind of came out of nowhere. We heard the Knicks were linked, but I don't think anybody expected the deal to get done when it did. Um, I thought what's interesting is Obi's agent is the son of the Knicks president, uh, Leon Rose. And I'm sure there's some talks that have been going on over, over there. But I think the Knicks got the guy that they wanted. I think that Toronto got what they wanted. I think Toronto gets R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, two young players that are ready to play now, ready to win now, type of, I mean, not win, but like contribute now instead of just a draft pick. And then they get a good pick from the Pistons. Um, I think that now, one, we can stop talking about OG as much as we have for the past year. But there was another part of me when I saw that trade package, I went, you know what? I don't know how the Pacers really would have beat that package without sacrificing a lot. Yeah. And then I heard the money that maybe OG might want. I heard there was, it was tossed out out there maybe it could be 40 million dollars per year it could be anything it was it was crazy i couldn't believe it uh, if that's the case 14 points a game for 40 million dollars i i could not think believe, he is i have no idea i wonder if that's trying to capitalize i'd be like well you just traded a lot for me you have to resign me this is what i want but if that was the situation for the patients we traded a lot then had to pay him 40 million dollars per year i'm sorry but i just like you said, who does that man think he is? I yeah. don't know. That's too much for me. Yeah, no, I, I definitely felt like in the moment, like, okay, that's a really good grab for the Knicks because they've got a pretty solid team. Yeah. I, I like R.J. Barrett. He's been a little bit inconsistent with the Knicks, and I feel like Emmanuel quickly has been the same. So maybe a change of scenery. You know, obviously R.J. Barrett going to his home country in Canada. He's going to like that. That's really cool for him and, and kind of be the poster boy there for Toronto. That's awesome. But, you know, they still have Scotty Barnes. They still have Pascal Siakam. Dennis Schroeder's there. They're going to bring Emmanuel quickly over. Like, Yaka Pertle's there. Like, this isn't a Raptors team that I think is taking a step back by making this trade of OG Ananobi. I think that OG is a good player, but they had to make a decision because he was a player option contract that could walk in free agency. There was a lot of signs pointing to the fact that he could. It was interesting that just a couple of weeks ago, Brian Windhorst was, you know, on, on the podcast and on ESPN saying that, if they're going to move one, it's more than likely they're going to move Siakam over OG and Anobi because they believe OG and Anobi fits long term next to Scotty Barnes. So, for them to make that move, you talk about it. That is a quite that is quite a bit to get RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. But no first round picks were involved in this trade. They did give up a second round pick that we did discover is unprotected. So they're from the Pistons too. So that's like a 31, 32 overall pick. We kind of know how that is impactful with the Pacers using that. Um, Houston's pick to to get Andrew Nimhard just two years ago. So, or it might have been Cleveland's, but it was Cleveland's through Houston, I think. So, regardless, yeah. it, it's it's one of those things where it's like I like this trade for both teams a lot. I think that OG can kind of fit in with what the Knicks want to do, especially because I feel like his defensive mindedness is going to help uh, Tom Thibodeau and what he wants to do. But if he's talking about a bigger offensive role, I don't know where I see it coming from with this group assembled as it already is. And is that going to lead to frustrations? I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but you know there was comments in Jake Fisher's piece talking about OG would be willing to sign for less if he was dealt to a team like New York just because he wants to maybe be there. But we hear a lot of stuff happen and guys get excited about going to a situation, but a lot can happen in the next five months. And if things don't play out the way that OG maybe wants them to play out and then the negotiations maybe get a little bit tougher there between uh, Rose and, and, and you know OG, I, I don't know if he's going to be a long-term lock. I mean, I would say that I would lean more towards the fact that he does re-sign their long-term, but I would still say, like, there's still a small crack in the window where I think it's not completely shut yet that he could leave. Anything is possible. I do think, though, that the Knicks, when you made this deal, 
you have full intentions of re-signing him. And I don't think that they would have taken such a risk if they didn't feel very confident. But they'll come to a deal. I, I really do think they will. But when you talk about a bigger role, <clears throat> Alex, this guy's locked into being the third option on the Knicks. This is a team that goes through Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. That is, that is how they do it. And you've seen, you talked about Randle being hot and cold. That's exactly how his emotions are too. If Randle then fell to the third option, they're going to have some problems internally. So I, I think that could he have a, could he get a couple more points per game? Yeah. Is he going to be the the number one or number two? No, I, I do not think so. Um, and Tibbs is a tough coach to play for. He really is. I think that OG brings the defensive capabilities that Tibbs absolutely covets and looks for. And I think that if the Knicks want to take that step forward, having a guy like OG is essential. You need a guy to be able to guard like the Jason Tatums and and those type of players that are out there in the Eastern Conference playoffs. I also don't think they were going to re-sign Emmanuel quickly because they have Jalen Brunson. So I, I think that that was kind of that, you know, okay, at some point we're going to move on from an R.J. Barrett, good player, uh, third overall pick behind Zion and John Moran. I think it, that's a little bit tough because it's those players are time superstars. But I think for Barrett, he needed a, a fresh scenery. The New York media, they're brutal. I mean, I, I live out here. The way that Knicks fans talk about Barrett, sometimes they make him seem like he's a bust. This yeah. is a guy who's averaging about 20 points per game. He's yeah. a good player, but he's a third option on the Knicks. And it, it's just, he's going to go to Toronto, and I think he's going to do good things. I, I really do. Is he ever an all-star? I don't know. Either way, I think this was a win-win trade for both teams, assuming that the Knicks re-sign OG Ananobi at a number less than $40 million per year. But when this trade happened, what type of offer were you thinking could have got it done for the Pacers? Good question. Way to put me on the spot because I haven't oh, really thought yeah. about what it would cost. I, I like kick some tires around in my head. You know, it was, would have yeah, been I was, easy. I was thinking something like you probably have to throw, obviously got to throw in Buddy's contract to kind of make it work. And I would think Jairus Walker has to be involved and then maybe – one of your first round picks that you got, maybe the one that's like the four team protected type thing that they got from the Nuggets last year that I think will eventually be the Clippers pick, which we've talked about. Maybe something like that just because it isn't expiring, but you're giving up a huge asset in a Jairus Walker. And then is there somebody else you have to throw into the deal? Because I, I don't know, maybe an Isaiah Jackson, somebody like that. But when you look at it from this standpoint, like Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett are two starters, and that's a really tough you know, trade to make. So I don't think the Pacers necessarily would have been smart to make that type of move unless they knew OG was going to be here. And then who would you be willing to get rid of? I don't think I would be willing to sell on Matherin yet because it's not even, he's not even finished year two. Like at least the Knicks have seen a little bit more from RJ Barrett and quickly to kind of make a decision on what they want to do long-term where the Pacers, I think they're still trying to hold those cards close to their chest without giving up all of their major assets, assets, I think they would be more willing to part with picks than they would be with a lot of their young players. I think Jairus Walker plus picks would be of what the Pacers offered, and that's probably not as enticing because it's it's a lot of unknown there for Toronto versus getting players that are that are more known. And and that's where I'm with you with that. When you look at like, okay, salary wise, Buddy fits in very well. Would they want Buddy? Because look look at what they got. RJ Barrett signed. He signed for the next few years, yep. but he's an expiring that they probably wouldn't have an interest bringing him back. So then you're like, okay, what about Bruce Brown? Okay, well, Bruce Brown only has one more year on on his contract. Like, you know, good good player if they want to continue to try and win. So I think with R.J. Barrett, they, they checked off a major box. Young player, good player, signed for the next few years. You could sign quickly. I think if you're the Pacers, your offer is either a Bruce Brown or a Buddy, and then – no doubt, I think they're asking for Matherin. If they're not asking for Matherin, they're definitely asking for Josh Walker. So you're giving up one of your top young players, definitely minimum, at least one first-round pick. And I still think if your offer is Buddy Heald, Jarris Walker, and a first-round pick, is that better than R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and uh, the, the Pistons pick? I don't think it is. No. I don't think it is because that Pistons pick could be 31st overall. It, it sounds like it definitely will be um, the way the Pistons are playing, even though they did get a win, which is, hey, there you go. They, they beat the Raptors. Who just they, made the said, they said something like, yeah, they, they, of course, they beat the Raptors, who was thin on bodies. And I think they said something like, 
they feel incredible. It was something like that. <laughs> like, like Monty Williams right, was crying in the locker room. Yeah, it's everybody deserves a win. So there you go, Pistons. But I don't think that our offer would have beat the Knicks' offer unless we're talking like Buddy Jarris, two first round picks. You know, and then maybe maybe there even is like you know an Isaiah Jackson or someone thrown in there like that. It's a lot to give up. It really is. Yeah, and that's why I don't think the Pacers were willing to make that move. But you know, I thought it was interesting because our good friend Mike Escato. Oh yeah. Put out an article on Hoopsite talking about how how the 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 Knicks going after OG, you know, they want to keep him long term. The next guy that could be available is Julius Randle. And, and they could trade him and, and kind of keep Brunson and OG together. So it could be kind of like a we're trying to stay competitive, but we're also looking at maybe shifting how we run this or how we run this team together because we talked about it. Julius Randle's hot and cold, like he was not very good in the playoffs last year, and it was like, no. okay, this guy. You can't really rely on him for a seven-game series. Like He's got moments here and there, but is he that guy that you really want to pay a lot of money to? And is there a team that could be interested in him? I don't know. But it did It did kind of also put out there like some speculation. You know, Toronto finally made – they bit the bullet. They finally made the move to kind of break up this core. Does that mean that Pascal Siakam could be on the move now? And I will say this. There are a lot of people torn on the idea of the Pacers going after Pascal Siakam. In my mentions, I think that more people would be excited about it once the deal actually happened and they saw Pascal play. But right now from a, oh, we're emotionally attached to these players on our roster, plus Pascal being an expiring, it does make people a little bit nervous. But I think that if Pascal Siakam does become available, I did listen to his press conference after the game against the Pistons. Was not happy that they lost that game, obviously. He was asked about the OG trade, and he said, I don't make the trades around here. You know, I wish OG the best. Obviously, it's a tough situation for us. But, you know, losing a guy that you've been there with for a long time, it's not easy. But I do think that if Pascal Siakam does become available by the trade deadline, the Pacers will be very active going after him because I do think he fits this style of play very well. And you might say, is it the right time to make that deal? I'm not the one to make that decision because I don't run the team. But I think if they want to get better and get more wing spotchy and more like of that hybrid four, this is a good opportunity to strike when there is one that's still in his prime available. I agree. And I think that things change quickly. Right when that OG trade came in, everybody was like, I wouldn't have given up anything. I would have gave him a bag of chips. It's like, sounds like a lot of you guys wanted OG two days ago. Yeah. You know, so it's a classic, you know, we don't get our way. Yeah, you know what? We don't want to do that deal anyway. For Siakam, if someone else got Siakam, people probably would have been like, well, we probably could have gave a little bit more or, oh, you know what? You know, I wasn't interested. I think the Patriots have an opportunity and they're not overpaying. I think that now Toronto, now that they got some good young players, I think this is where they might want draft picks. Yep. This is where I think they might be fine with matching salary, maybe a good young player, but picks. And I think that now, you know, there's only oh so many young players they could really get in return. Now is where they could be. I'm not going to you know, craft out a trade right now. But Pacers do have two first-round picks. I think it's going to be far easier to be able to uh, get Siakam now than it was before when they had OG. I think now they're probably going to push towards a rebuild, I would imagine. But I mean, who knows? And when I say rebuild, Barrett, quickly, those are players that I don't think you're going to be waiting years on. I think they're yeah. they're already averaging between 15 and 20 points each. So I don't know. Siakam, I, I think it would be in the best interest for Toronto to move on from Pascal Siakam and get a ton of assets between OG and Siakam, you know, in, in regards to what they brought back in a trade. Yeah. It all depends on if, if uh, Siakam is happy about this trade, because if he feels like he can fit in with Scotty and quickly and RJ and, and Yaka Pertle, you know, then maybe they want to try things out and maybe get that extension done by the end of the year, because, you know, Pascal has been a staple of that Toronto organization has found the most success there, obviously won a championship with them. So, does he feel some of that loyalty to that organization? Potentially. But if if the Raptors say we're going to head in a different direction, I think they would, you know, try to find him a landing spot where he could actually be competitive. And you know that the Raptors are going to look for players that could be good. You know, Jalen Johnson was a name that was mentioned that the Raptors wanted from Atlanta in a trade for him, and they were unwilling to part with Jalen Johnson or didn't really want to make that move at the time in the offseason. So, you know, the Pacers having Juris Walker, a guy that hasn't been able to crack the rotation, that could be an enticing power forward. You throw in a couple of picks with that, plus some salary filler. Is that enough 
for Toronto to bite the bullet and say, okay, we're going to make this move and send Pascal to Indiana. Now, I understand that there is a lot of back and forth on whether you think that's the right move or not for the Pacers, and, and we can debate that. You know, Giving up on Jairus, it does seem a little bit nerve-wracking, but like Tom Thibodeau said, you know, for us to get OG and Anobi, we had to give up some really good players to get them. So if you want to get good players, you have to give up good players, and that's just how the nature of the business works. You cannot just give away guys that don't matter to your team for guys that mean everything to that franchise. So that's where you have to give a lot, and that's why when you see a lot of fake trades, everybody always comes from a standpoint of, I'm going to give 25 cents and hope I get a dollar back. That's not how business that, that always happens in, in dealing no. with the NBA. So that's that's why I can't take too many people seriously with their fake trades on social media just because it's always one-sided for the team you root for. Most of the time, the salaries don't even come close to adding up. And it's like, I can't even respond to this. It, it's like, I'm not going to be the, the guy who tries to make himself seem like a capologist or anything. But sometimes it's just like, you're not getting Pascal Siakam for like, McConnell, Nora, and, you know, some other, like, Isaiah Jackson. It's not happening. You're so far off over here, and no trade is going to go through like that. But overall, I think that while it would have been great to get OG, it's also nice to not have to talk about it But moving forward for the next, you know, few months leading up to the trade deadline. I think the Pacers can now set themselves uh, – in more of if they really do want to go after Siakam, okay. But at the same point, you saw deals can happen at any point. It might not be something that rides until the deadline. I think the Pacers now at 17 and 14 have seen enough from this team to say we should be pushing forward. And I know that some fans are still in disagreement with that. There is enough on this roster to be like, I like what we have. If we keep everything together, we probably do max out at being maybe the eighth seed. If the Pacers do make a move, I, I do think that they can crawl into the top six. Mm. I, don't, I don't think that that's unrealistic at all, but only time will tell. But for right now, Alex, man, I, I, I got a good vibe going into 2024. I really do. We closed out December. I think December had a lot of highs and lows. Feels like the in-season tournament was a lifetime ago. That was great. And then there was a little bit of a rough patch. And the Pacers, when they were down, they didn't stay down. They got back up. Three-game winning streak. Schedule doesn't get easier. But at the same point, hey, that, that's life. That's the NBA. And right now, this Pacers team, they're uh, they're on a lot of teams' radars as a team that people will not be taking lightly. Pacers are just two games back of the fourth spot in the Eastern Conference. They're currently at 7th, 17-14, and 14, with a 9-7 and seven record at home and an 8-7 and seven record on the road. So that means that they are playing pretty good basketball. You know, it, it's been up and down, like you mentioned, but it has been a lot of fun. So super excited to see what they can do. And I do believe that this is a team that is going to continue to play well. They have yet to go under 500 this year. They went two and one in uh, October, seven and seven in November, and then eight and seven in December. So can they write that ship? Can they continue to get better and sail into the sunset? Tough month of January ahead of us, Fachi. We have a lot of very quality opponents going up against the Pacers, but they're going to have a couple games here at home after this game against the Bucks tonight. So with that being said, we're going to close things out. Fachi, tell the people where they can find us at on the good old social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at PacersPodSTP. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersPodSTP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, Tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. And please subscribe so you can listen to all of our videos there and see me and Fachi's beautiful faces on there. Because, you know, on podcast audio, you're not getting to see the face of Alex and Fachi. And I mean, look at these faces. I mean, we have TV faces and radio faces, so you don't want to miss out on that. But with that being said, if you're hoping the Pacers can get off to another good start here at the beginning of the year and keep that record for the month over 500. Then Fachi hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers!
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.